Um, Galatians chapter 6, you've got it in your manual, in your little handout there, your manual. Uh, my goodness. Uh, and if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to read. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. This is God's Word. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. Will you pray along with me? Our Lord, we thank You for this Word to us tonight. And we ask that You would open our hearts, that we might hear it, O Lord. We can understand nothing apart from Your Spirit working in our lives. And so we ask that You would do that now. Lord, I ask that You would give me clarity and that You would remind me that You love me. Lord, I'm concerned more with what people would think about me, whether I'm a good preacher, whether I'm funny, whether I have good stories, rather than pleasing You. And so I confess that to You tonight, Lord, and ask that You would change me even as I preach. I ask, O Lord, the same for my friends tonight, that You would open up their ears, that they would hear You for these next few moments, that they might know life and know it to the full. And so we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, several years ago, my family and I, um, we, we visited the incredibly beautiful state of Hawaii. Uh, we happened to be visiting the, the island of Maui. And if you've never been, the real thing really is way better than the pictures. Uh, in fact, if you're uh, in the right spot on Maui, you can watch the sun as it's coursing across the sky, setting... And over to the right, you'll see the island of Molokai. It's one of the islands there. And it is there, in the distance, on Molokai, that all of the beauty of Hawaii stands in stark contrast to what once populated it. You see, in the late 1860s, several peninsulas were cordoned off by high mountains there on Molokai. They acted as colonies for people infected with leprosy. These people were quarantined from the rest of civilization, from their families, and from the lives that they once knew. You see, this disease, which caused horrible sores on the skin, it left sensory nerves damaged, and it often led to secondary infections that would lead to people having to have their fingers, their arms, their feet amputated. They were separated because the disease was thought to be highly contagious and again at this time, resulted in sure death. These Hawaiians lived in isolation, cut off from the outside world, until one man 
a Christian named Joseph de Wooster, a, a, a Belgic man, was compelled to go care for these lepers. The local bishop knew that sending him there would be a great risk to him, but de Wooster was compelled to go and to identify with this community of outcasts. You see, he had a desire for seeing them restored to both life and to health. You see, he was not unaware either about the risks for his own life in going, but he believed that his own personal comfort could not roadblock the real good that he could do. So, on May 10th, 1873, Joseph, now Father Damien, made his life among the community of lepers. lepers. He left everything and moved there, risking life and limb. Father Damien's willingness to be in this community with incredibly sick and messy people is an example of what Paul is getting at right here in this text in Galatians chapter 6. It is this identifying with a community of broken people. He highlights the joys and the struggles of living in community. So tonight, y'all, we're going to look at what community life looks like. Paul is going to show us because the Gospel that we have talked about all semester long, because it is true, you and me, if you were in Christ tonight, are to live as free people. But we don't just live as free people. We have been called to live with free people too. You see, the flesh, that part of us that Paul has mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 and then highlights again here in chapter 6, that flesh part of us drives us inward. It gets us to focus on ourselves and to isolate and to say, life really is better off alone. But Paul shows us that we can't live without community. And if we're going to live in the community well, we need to remember who we are by God's Spirit and from that place to actually live. To live out of that, in other words. In this text, Paul is going to show us three particular things about what community is. They're not on your sheet because I've changed the main point. So if you want to write them down, here you go. He's going to show us, first of all, what community is. Secondly, he's going to show us what community does from this passage. And then lastly, how it grows. So, what community is, what it does, and how it grows. In short, Paul's going to show us this. That the Gospel propels us away from ourselves and into radical community with other free people. That's what he's going to say. Let's take a look. What is it? Well, look with me at verse 2. Do you see it there? Paul says that we are to bear one another's burdens. Anytime you see this one another language in the Scriptures, what you're meant to see is is that there is a community aspect at stake. It's not revolving around a single person. We've said over and over again in RUF that Christianity primarily isn't about an understanding about me and Jesus. It it is that, but it's much more than that. Because see, when you are a Christian, you are placed into a community of brothers and sisters as well. And, And that this community is meant to share the load with each other's burdens. You see, when Paul says 
that we are to share the load, as it were, to carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters, He means that we are to literally shoulder those things in people's lives that are too burdensome for them to carry by themselves. And doing so, y'all, fulfills the law of Christ, He says. He is saying that this is what is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. You see, the law of Christ can be thought of like this. It is the sum total of all that Christ taught and the way that He wants us to live. And when we bear one another's hardest of life's burdens, we are fulfilling how we are called to live as Christ's followers. We said this semester that the Gospel does more than just set us free once for all. It most certainly does that, right? We said that look, there's nothing that we can do to get God to smile at us. That happens all at Jesus' feet. Okay? We've said that, but that's not all that we have wanted to say this semester. Because as soon as someone hears that we are made right with God apart from anything that you or me can do, a question naturally comes up, doesn't it? It asks this, well, does that mean that we can just live however we want? That we can live a life of sin and open rebellion from God, and that's okay? And Paul is going to say this, never, in no way. To think and live that way is to show that you've really not, you've really not understood the richness and the sweetness of the grace that you think that you have. You see, we've been set free to love others and God. And while our good works, y'all, they still merit us nothing, hear me, they are absolutely essential for demonstrating the faith that we say that we have. To be sure, we are saved by grace through faith alone. But that faith that saves is never alone. It always frees us to a new way of life. And that new way of life is life with other Christians and the world, bearing their physical and spiritual struggles, heartaches and pains along the way. At its core, here's what Christian community is. It is a group of individuals who are committed by Christ together for mutual care and help. Now, it's sort of like this. If you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings 3, you know the scene where Frodo and Sam are at the foothills of Mount Doom and Sam uh, is carrying Frodo and Frodo says, I can't do it anymore. I can't remember home. I've lost all of my senses, Sam. And then in his traveling companion, Sam looks him in the eye and he says, well, let's be rid of it once for all. I can't carry it. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Y'all, this is a perfect picture of what this sort of community that we're called to be uh, like is. We all need traveling companions like this. People that can help shoulder the load for us. But as soon as we begin to see that, you'll see that this confronts us and it comforts us. It confronts us because it exposes, right? It exposes how incredibly selfish we can be. Because all of us want community that's easy. All of us want community on our terms. All of us want community 
so long as I can do it with ease. But the moment you make it hard, guess what? I'm out. I'll trade you for a Diet Coke just like that. It confronts us, but here it also comforts us because this is why. If you're a Christian, I want you to know that you are not meant to go through life shouldering all the burdens that you have alone. That you have people in your world that are meant to help carry, to help shoulder those deepest of pains and sorrows with you. That is what it's meant. That is one of the deep and rich blessings of what it means to be a Christian. Well, I also want to take a look because Paul is not saying that this is easy to live out. Why? Because we're still sinners. We're still in need of God's grace. But he wants to begin moving to show us not just what community is, but what it actually does for us. So let's take a look at what community does. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he, he calls the entire set of Christians the body. He says there are many parts, but there are one body. So this metaphor of the body is going to be real important for what Paul's trying to get across. And he says that one of the aspects of what it means to be the body is that we would care for the body when parts of it are out of sort. This is what he means when he says somebody has been caught in transgressions. You can see it there in verse 1. If anyone is caught in transgression, you are unspiritual, should restore this person. Now, when Paul talks about what it means to, um, to be a person who is spiritual, he's not talking about some elite set of Christians. He's talking about anybody that is in Christ. This is the work of all of us. And listen to what uh, the one way to think about this idea of restoring somebody. A few years ago on Thanksgiving Day, I was playing a game of flag football with some friends of mine. It was cold. We were living, we were living in St. Louis at the time. And on the first snap, I was on defense. And my buddy Mike, a uh, good close friend of mine, was running with the football. And I went to grab uh, his flag. Now, uh, Mike has got what we might call uh, a little, little bit of a beer belly. And so uh, he tucked his flags uh, in, in his pants. And so when I went to pull that flag, I literally pulled the flag off of the stitching. And I thought, oh my gosh, man, what is up? And I reached down to grab the flag up off the ground. And when I did, my ring finger was bent and broken inwardly across my two fingers like this. Instinctively, I just went like this and pulled it back in place, setting it. Immediately took my wedding ring off and watched it swell up to the size of, you know, a sausage. But here's why I tell you that. The image that Paul gives us is that image. Because if you knew what that word restore meant, it literally means to reset a bone. This is what he means. He is saying that to restore somebody is like resetting a bone into its proper place. It means that we are to be people full of gentleness who would take somebody who has been caught and trapped in a sin and reset them back into the proper alignment with the rest of the body. Is that going to hurt? You bet. But here's the point. You and me are called to do that with gentleness. Not with a heavy-handedness. And that doesn't mean that you now are the spiritual police because this is what you're supposed to do. You see, no, you still have to listen to what Peter would say when he would say, love covers over a multitude of sins. 
And so what this means is, is that for us to seek out people, to care for them who have been trapped in some sort of major sin pattern, that we must be doing it gently. Because why? That's what Christian community does. It goes after people. Fights for their good. Now listen, some of you know what that's like. Some of you have had that happen to you and you've known the real benefit of having a dear friend come after you and gently put their arm around you and say, dear friend, I'm concerned. And out of my care for you, I want you to come back. Come. Listen, what does this mean for us? It means, I think, one thing in particular. It means that, y'all, part of what it means to be in Christian community is an incredible sense of vulnerability. Why do I say vulnerability? Because, look, to go to someone and to shoulder their pain with them, like we just talked about, puts you in an incredibly vulnerable position. It hurts. If you're doing real community, it will hurt. Because it means that you're shouldering the troubles and the pains of other people. But it's not just you in that sense that has to become vulnerable. It also means this, that if you're trapped in something, vulnerability is going to be required of you as well. And how will that vulnerability come? It will be by naming that you're caught. It will be to name and to say, I need help. That is real vulnerability. You see, that it means that you must be able to say about yourself, things aren't as well as I'd hope that they are. And in that moment, and in that moment, real care, real community begins to go to work, resetting you and restoring you, as it were, for your good. Listen, you may have been, you may have for some long season in your life forgotten and could not give a rip less about Jesus. But in His great love for you, He has not forgotten you. And He may send somebody yet into your world to rescue you and to reset that brokenness that exists in your life. Both require vulnerability. Both of them do. Well, let's take a look then lastly at how this sort of community grows. I'm moving into verse 7 through 10, if you want to go there with me. Look what he says. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Here, Paul takes up an agricultural metaphor, this idea of reaping and sowing, to describe the power that this Christian community has to actually do good and cause the other members of the community to grow and to flourish. But before we go there, I want to drive something home. He is taking an agricultural metaphor and saying, look, if you sow, if you plant apple seeds, after the seed has begun to grow, what shoots up out of the ground is going to be an apple tree, not an orange tree. And if you sow apples, I mean orange seeds, what will grow will not be an apple tree, but an orange tree. Paul is trying to drive home the metaphor that whatever you sow, that is what will grow. He is saying that if you sow to your flesh, from the flesh, you will reap corruption. Now, 
Here when he says the idea of corruption, he wants you to see that he literally means the unraveling of things. It speaks to a cosmic fracturing, if you will. Like the world coming unraveled at its seams. He's not so much saying this when he says, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. He's not saying, if you do that, you're going to be in trouble. He's more saying, if you do that, you'll ruin things. That's what he's trying to drive home. And moreover, he's actually saying this, that those who sow to the Spirit bring with it eternal life. The point is this, that what we practice over and over again in our lives has a bearing on the nature of the life that we reap, in particular, in community. When he's saying this, y'all, that we do good, when we invest in, when we care for the members of that community, what happens is, is that what we sow is good and flourishing. It's that biblical idea that the Hebrews had of shalom. Not just peace with somebody, but the idea of the world flourishing. That's what he's getting at. you got that idea of corruption and ruin over against flourishing. And he says this, that you and me participate in it. Listen, when I came back from fall break, I told myself, Anderson, it's time to start getting back in shape. Over the past few months, um, we've moved, and the combination of raising twin girls makes it hard for me to find time to go to the gym. But here's what I want to ask you. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to go exercise if you've taken a break? It's like the death of me to try to do that. I mean, it's like the hardest part is just getting into the gym. But, have you ever noticed the opposite as well? That when you've been working out and going to the gym for a while, how easy it is to just continue to do that? You see, it's interesting that while I'm sure there are certain physiological and mechanical issues at play, what I'm talking about is the actual desire of things. Here's my point. We find it harder to exercise the more that we have not been exercising. And we find it easier to exercise when we have been exercising. Why? Because our desires, our wants, are shaped by our practices They're shaped by what we do. Our practice shapes us. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in this agricultural metaphor. He's saying, God won't be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. You can't trick him. This is important for TCU students, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to slow down, and I really want to drive this home. Y'all, If you want to see your life prosper, Paul is saying, this is how you do it. And if you want to ruin your life, Paul is saying, this is how you do it. Think about it like this. I see this getting fleshed out at TCU in this way. Several students come to TCU believing um, about their four to seven years here. Something like this. Yeah. I grew up a Christian, or I know a little bit about Jesus, but college, for me, is a time where I need to take that whole God stuff and put it on the shelf. And I'll try to come back to it in four years when I'm done. They think, look, this is a time where you're supposed to sow your wild oats, where I ought to be free to be able to do what I want. You know, go crazy, so to speak. Get it out of my system. Sleep with whoever I want to. 
party it up, so to speak. But after those years, I'll, I'll come and I'll, I'll pick it back up. Well, then what happens? Well, then grad school takes a place. You go off to med school. You go off to that internship. And everything begins to kind of get pushed back further and further. And the God or the Jesus that you were going to come back to from your freshman year isn't so easily grasped. Here's why. Because Paul is saying this, that when you sow this sort of thing in your life, it changes you. You will be a different person. And you can't tell me that you'll be the same person now that you will be in four years, that you'll actually want you'll actually want to pick it back up. It won't be you anymore. That's what Paul's trying to get at. You'll be changed. Listen. That's a warning. It's a warning for you if you're a Christian. Don't ruin your life. Don't do it. But it's also the same warning as an incredible incredibly encouraging promise because it means this. If you come to college and you take up practices that are for your flourishing, such as being in Christian community, reading the Scriptures, praying regularly, finding a Christian community at a church, bearing other another's burdens, carrying out service to other people, that while you're in college, something amazing will happen. That you'll look back at college one day and you'll say this that God did amazing things in my life in one of the hardest environments that I have ever been in. Look, what you do matters because it shapes you. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he'll reap. That's not me saying it. This is what the Scriptures are telling us. So, I ask you, what do you want to cultivate, TCU student? Do you want to cultivate corruption? The idea of things fracturing around you? Or do you want to cultivate flourishing? There's two options. And there's only two. What's it going to be for you? The great news is, is that there's hope. There's always hope. There's always hope for you and me to begin living this life in a proper function and fashion. While preparing to take a bath, he accidentally put his foot in the scalding water. And upon seeing it with his eyes, he realized he felt nothing with his foot. It was then and there that Father Damien knew that he had become one of them. The leprosy had set in. And within five years, he would be dead. His commitment to this difficult community would cost him his life. Years prior, before he had contracted the disease, he had written to his brother, I make myself a leper with the lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. Paul wants us to know that this is exactly what the Gospel does in, through, and for us. It frees us from ourselves to enter an uncomfortable community, to seek the flourishing of the entire community. And the only way we're ever going to be able to do this is if we see ourselves first, not as Father Damien's, but as lepers. 
You see, there's a truer Father Damien. Another man who went to lepers too. Except he gave them life. Whereas Father Damien accidentally took on the leper's disease, the better Father, Jesus Christ, intentionally became our sin. Paul says, for our sake, He made Himself to be sin, Him who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Whereas Damien said, I make myself a leper with lepers to gain all to Jesus, Jesus says this, I became sin for the sinners that I might gain you. As compelling as it is, Father Damien's community with the lepers could never heal them. But Jesus comes to us and by His Spirit promises to actually change us. Jesus didn't let His own desire for comfort to get in the way of rescuing you and me. You see, He bore your burdens, becoming vulnerable by bleeding out for them. And by that same blood, He restores us to Himself. And by giving us the Spirit, He promises flourishing for you and for me. Listen, this is what is true of you if you are a Christian tonight. And if you're not a Christian tonight, it's what's on free offer to you. It's free. You may have it. All you have to do is receive it. Will you pray with me? Lord, could this be true? That you're the better father, Damien, coming to us, not at the risk of your life, but at the cost of it. This is what you know about us, that we need you. And so you freely give yourself for our good and for the good of your entire community called your bride. Oh, how you love us. Oh, how you give yourself up for us that we may flourish. This is good news for our souls, O Lord. Would you take it and press it deep into our hearts, we pray. It's in your name. Amen. Well, would you join and stand and sing as we sing this last song together.